Welcome to Choreographing the City. Morning Conversations, part of the artistic residency of choreographer and Teatro Mundi fellow Dr. Adeshola Akinley. Hosted by Professor Gedimina Urbonas at MIT's Art, Culture and Technology program and supported by MIT Center for Art, Science and Technology. Akinley's residency explores emerging lexicons across dance making and city making through choreographing the city. In this podcast, Akinley and Urbonas are joined by guests in a series of eight morning conversations. Join us in this seventh episode to talk about encounters, scores, improvisation, infrastructure and embodied knowledge with John Bingham Hall, director of the Charitable Research Center Teatrum Mundi, an honorary senior lecturer at UCL Department of Science, Technology, Engineering and Public Policy. He has held research posts at LSE Cities and UCL and an associate lectureship at Central San Martins. His ongoing research interests is in the way urban design shapes the public lives of cities, linking technology, performance, media, and infrastructure as topics and methodologies. so far mm. so these conversations are a kind of informal less formal way of a lecture and so John and I we've choreographed a little bit of a discussion previously <laughs> and our starting point was where Dr Pratt left us possibly at the end of the last conversation one of the ideas that he spoke about was developing his work with the logic of place to see place as Uh, multiple of agencies that not just human life has an agency but thinking of agency as a much wider perspective than a, say a western construction of that and thinking of agencies to do with things having a future a future of their own so that places are coming together of things that have futures of their own and therefore a sense of agency and that leads us to talking about elephant and castle Yeah, shall I take over there? I want to talk about how an, a certain idea kind of developed and, and then show you that idea a little bit, but always in back and forth with Adashola. Basically going to talk or, or draw on a project that we've been doing at Teatro Mundi in partnership with an amazing um, academic called Gassia Uzunian at the University of Oxford through a knowledge exchange fellowship uh, we got from Oxford. She's a music professor And she works also on how ideas from contemporary music and sound art could be used to inform urban design and how we inhabit the sonic environment of the city. And we kind of both, it seemed at the same time, came to suddenly this idea that we wanted to look at scores and, you know, not so much the soundscape as, as this kind of existing thing, but actually taking a different element from music, this kind of thing that sits behind what we actually hear, the final performances, the idea of the score as a kind of framework that suggests or guides or designs a performance. Yeah, so to kind of look at how scores might offer us different ways of thinking about 
the relationship between idea and form in architecture and looking at all the diversity of representation within graphic scoring. And the way this came about for me, strangely, was walking around a shopping centre in London called Elephant and Castle Shopping Centre. Elephant and Castle is a neighbourhood in South London and very dense, unplanned urban form. And then, as was the case with a lot of modernism, from a mix of bombing in the Second World War and then, and then modernist planning, the organic urban form in this area was replaced, uh, was very, quite dramatically, quite kind of violently uh, reconfigured in this modernist, classic kind of modernist layout of big roads, power block housing, and then this uh, shopping centre, this kind of big purpose-built, single purpose, whereas, of course, in this older fabric you would have had shops lining the streets with houses above much more this mixed thing so anyway it, the idea essentially within that is the fact that modernist architecture came in and replaced this emergent form and it was seen as the universalist almost solution to hygiene convenience function a, a system for rethinking the like functional networks and layouts of cities that could be reproduced anywhere. And, and it was at that time, and it was quite violently imposed in different situations, or it was desired in different cities. Um, so we kind of got this idea that universal approach to architecture, internationalist idea could be uh, reproduced in different cities. But then fast forward to the 80s and 90s, and it was seen as something, this is kind of recounting a very well-told story, probably not in the best way, but just as a background, this kind of modernist architecture was seen as something that had failed. It was too highly over-designed, too high, highly specified in terms of this is a shopping center, this is a tower block. It couldn't be flexible, it couldn't be emergent, we couldn't kind of see unexpected uses. That was the narrative anyway, and this kind of narrative was very much used to devalue this kind of architecture to, even from urbanists kind of saying it needed to be knocked down, it, we needed to bring back these kinds of streets. But actually walking around the shopping center in London, uh, it didn't feel like that at all. It felt like there was so much unexpected, unplanned activity, market stalls that had been added around the edges bits that had been kind of extended onto it to create like a, a Colombian restaurant and nightclub, cafes that had been added kind of under the walkways uh, and then inside pavilions put up in the middle with cafes in. And this was um, Latin American, particularly Colombian immigrants to London who were moving into this area and changing how this shopping center was used. So essentially, yeah, you had this thing that was imposed on, on the built environment seen as a very modern solution to problems of unplanned, unhygienic, uh, livable kind of housing, etc. to then something that was 20 years later was seen as failed because it was too inflexible and then was left to rot for many years. They were intending to demolish it. Um, sadly, in the end, that is going to happen, but it had become home to all of this kind of unexpected informal rethinking of the space. So that's one part of the story. And at the same time, I was, uh, oh, just to say, um, this is happening also elsewhere, uh, Seoul Plaza um, in Seoul. And it was also quite run down, I believe, for a long period of time. And then has uh, re-emerged as this hub for electronics uh, trade, but also innovation in a very kind of informal, unplanned way. You see it also at Nehru Place in Delhi, uh, which Richard Sennett, who I, you heard from recently, talks a, a lot in his work. And it's also become one of the biggest electronics markets in India. But this was, again, a kind of modernist plan that was uh, posed onto the city and, and later on became rethought. 
So then we come to this. I studied music for my undergraduate and I, I played the saxophone, but I was studying a classical music degree. It was a bit out of place, but I really, I really enjoyed playing Bach always on the saxophone. It looks very tightly controlled. It doesn't look like there's much flexibility within it. But strangely, I always found it something so full of possibility. So you have these notes, you have the framework, you play them all, but there's so many different ways you can accent it, so many different forms of expression, but also when you play it on a, an instrument that it wasn't intended for, it takes on different resonances. When you play it, even in a different space, uh, sometimes the notes uh, merge together and make harmonies or, or in another space where it's a less resonant space, you hear the rhythmicity of it instead. So I was thinking about the fact that these things that kind of very highly specified, highly designed, highly composed in a sense, could later on become something quite freeing. And it wasn't just me, you also see Bach getting played on like uh, Balinese Gamelan or, or remixed or played on synths by Wendy Carlos in the 60s. She was a synth pioneer and she used Bach as a way to kind of test the limits of these instruments. Like, so many different ways that Bach was getting rethought, or is, you know, so many kids is one of the first things you kind of learn to play because it gives you so much to work with, but there's so much you can kind of do with it. This got me thinking about this relationship between something which is conceived, imagined, designed in a very, very specific set of conditions for a very specific set of reasons, but then becomes in a way universal or it, it starts kind of contextual it becomes universal but Bach became universal partly through colonialism through the kind of imposition of European culture but later also through I don't know picking up in a circulation uh, of ideas via scores via the score as a something that can, can communicate the ideas in the composition but that can be picked up and then translated re-performed through the bodily knowledge or the material culture of another time and place and so there's this kind of, uh, we start with this thing which is embodied, this embodied knowledge which is close to the composer. It becomes distanced from the composer and then through that process, again, be picked up, different things can be done with it. The people that encounter it are less concerned with the composer as a figure and what they wanted it to be so much as what that set of notes on the page offers you. But then through playing it, the score kind of becomes a point of encounter between the original intention and the person and all of their kind of like uh, the embodied uh, knowledge and conditions of the situation in which they were writing that music and then uh, the person who's playing it. Thinking back to Elephant and Castle and the shopping centre, I suppose it just got me thinking about what is it that kind of makes architecture flexible? That's kind of one thing. What is it that makes a place that, that people can interpret it differently, that people can use it differently. Is it, is there something, is there a way of designing things in that they're open? Saying that Bach's scores look very tightly controlled, actually in the Baroque era, composers valued improvisation very highly and the scores were always intended to be embellished by the people that performed them in the same way that at that time, uh, an architect's plan would always be embellished by the craftspeople that built the space. You didn't design all of the decoration, for example. This came from craftsmanship. So there was a valuing of the craftsmanship of the performer. And then, you know, in the modernist era, at the same time as kind of Elephant and Castle Shopping Centre was being designed, actually, in a way, 
the role of the composer had a similar set of values around it that the role that the, of the architect at that time in that it was this kind of genius as separated very much from audiences or from craftspeople and that their whole idea could be kind of encapsulated in the score and it could perhaps never be fully realized. You know, Le Corbusier's plans for modernist rethinking of uh, the Marais in Paris or these kind of idealized fully functional systems of city plans could never be fully realized because they meet the messiness of, of reality. So the question essentially was, is there a way that architecture can be thought about, put on paper, communicated the, the ideas, what an architect intends a space to be, that allows for a kind of openness of, of interpretation and of, of valuing of the way that people encounter, meet, use, rethink that space, rather than that having to be something that comes through the degradation of things being neglected, which is what happened to modernist architecture. And so essentially what we did was set up a series of experiments for workshops where we uh, brought together architects and uh, composers and we challenged them, I suppose, to test out drawing scores for places by looking at all of these different modes of representation within experimental music and graphic scores, but also sometimes where that overlaps already with architectural design and looking at how it represents time, looking at how it can represent movement, looking uh, at what direction the, you read it, looking at how information is organized, looking at how tightly the relation, how tight the relationship between idea and realization is, how much you're supposed to interpret it. And so there's all of these different experiments and ideas within graphic scoring about the relationship between idea, the embodied knowledge of the composer, and then performance, how that's realized, the kind of craftsmanship of the performer, and then audience, what role does the audience have? Adashola, I'm gonna hand back over to you at that point. We've talked a little bit before about the range of scores and this idea of offer, and how a score could be seen as instructional, the score to design something, um, but all the way to the idea that the score is the design. So as you were talking about the elephant in castle, people would encounter the elephant in castle, seeing it as an invitation to design rather than a design in itself. So when we talked about that before, we, we, you, we talked a little bit about the different ranges of, of scores that you started to explore in this project. Shall I go on to talk a little bit about the idea of infrastructure? Yeah, yeah. We've had conversations also around the idea of the score as the infrastructure of, of something, that the infrastructure being the offer for something to, to happen. I've described it a little bit as um, the bones, the infrastructure is the bones. And I've wondered if the infrastructure becomes um, seen or becomes clear, does it stop becoming the infrastructure just as if your kind of bones came out of your body? Do they stop? The idea of the infrastructure is that it's a, an implied offer. It's not explicitly visible. And we've also talked about before the idea of in, the, the art of infrastructure. So the art of creating the score that invites something more that doesn't close down the design in itself. Yeah, it speaks to the political or politicized idea within this project for me it is a lot about how knowledge or how kind of ideas of what works uh, are circulated. I'm thinking at the moment um, in urban terms. So when a place is seen to work, 
when a form of architecture, I mean, we can think of like pop-up space perhaps as a pop-up social spaces, cer certain experiments that worked very well, like in a certain place at a certain time, for whatever reason, then there's this desire to replicate that. Or actually a better example might be the, the famous Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao. So what people want to replicate is the finished thing, the kind of visible end product of a process. And that if we kind of replicate that, the same thing will happen. And so the whole idea of infrastructure for me, which relates to scores, is about looking instead of like, in, instead of, um, okay, this worked, this was good. For some reason, we think this is good. How do we circulate that opportunity, that possibility, that process to another place? It, the easiest thing is to look at a picture and kind of say, well, that's what it looked like, or that that's how it, it turned out. We want that. We want it to look like that. We need architecture like that. We need something that appears the same. And I suppose it relates to me in music as an analogy to the idea of recordings. When music is good, there's this idea that people need access to it. So you put the orchestra on tour or you put the recording online. But what this doesn't do is build up capacity or no knowledge. There's this idea that Keller Easterling, who writes uh, the book, The Power of Infrastructure Space, Extra Statecraft, which uh, I think is one of the most interesting treatments of, of infrastructure as an idea. And she talks about the relation, the difference between knowing to and knowing that, uh, knowing to kind of being an operable, um, an operable kind of set of ways of thinking and working that kind that can lead that might lead to different outcomes in a different situation. And knowing that is this is kind of saying this worked. This is a fact. It's an artifact. It's a finished thing, and, and we transplant that. For me, there's this whole set of phenomena like scores, infrastructures, scripts also like that give you all of the structure you need to actually create something, but then they place trust in also in the kind of performer and the person that's realizing that and not just in their knowledge, but in their bodies uh, it, and in the way that their bodies can translate this kind of set of markings or set of words or set of ideas that are somehow encoded into something real. But that might happen through different materials. So like a pop-up community social space in London might look very different to one that you do with the local materials, with, with local forms of craft, of ideas of what soci sociability is in Delhi. But if you can somehow create or offer the infrastructures for thinking how that happens, like what kind of permissions, like how did people get it done? How did people get funding? Like revealing what's behind. But then as you say, there's this thing, is it still infrastructure when we when we do re reveal what's behind. And that's, I just want to kind of come back to, to these scores um, that we gave as examples. Some of them are intended to be played. You know, it doesn't look like traditional musical notation, but it's intended as a tool for making music, for making sound. But there are others that kind of become artworks in themselves. Things like this can't be kind of fully played. They, be, they become an artwork in themselves. So with this interest in scoring almost, there's a, there's a danger of like a fetishization of this idea of process and revealing infrastructure, which perhaps then calls into question its ability to be an infrastructure. But then it also reminds us that these things are always blurred. And it's not so much that there are things that are infrastructure and things that are not infrastructure as that we can think infrastructurally about how certain things work, how they came to be, 
what conditions underlying what you see are shaping what came about. So as part of the workshops that we brought together, because obviously a lot of architects hadn't really encountered these artifacts, these scores before, and hadn't really thought about how you realise them. So um, we asked a drummer to perform and uh, talk a bit about scores. Okay. What was really interesting for me was that because I, I'm used to playing traditional musical notation, I expected him to be trying to kind of play these markings somehow and was wondering which order you play them. And he said, no, I, I play the, the gaps. I play like what I play is what can fill in and texture those gaps. And then, but then there was a kind of discussion of whether the, what this works as a representation of, is it a representation of time? Is it a representation of texture? Is it a representation of a city plan from above? It could look a lot like a kind of modernist city plan. And again, there's all of these kinds of interesting questions in these experiments in graphic scoring that can challenge what can be put on paper, what the relate, you know, when I say put on paper, I mean the design, the plans that act as the infrastructures for architectural projects or, or realized built space that we see. Yeah, what can be notated, what can be put down, and then what relationship of interpretation can there be? And what happens if we kind of make a plan that's almost not intended to be able to be realized that becomes an artwork in itself is this useful yeah there was also something around grounding it in the sensorial right that it sort of becomes meaningful through the sensory experience of something so those choices that one makes are located in in the, the felt like the texture between or even in a more traditional kind of infrastructure You've talked before about the warmth of the floor, for instance. So yeah. infrastructure becomes visible through how it's felt rather than through seeing it as a, as a structure in itself, separate from how it's felt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it relates very much to this whole idea relates to another research project that we have. And by the way, when I say project, we do have a kind of whole website of outcomes because uh, we did four workshops in four cities looking at different questions at different scales so from building scale to urban scale looking at uh, questions about kind of memory and change in a site how you design based on what was there before uh, we looked at elephant and castle and the shopping center and how instead of this tabula rasa approach of, of demolishing it and starting again how you can treat it as a score and kind of build from there to or, or, um, enrich the score to make it kind of more usable more sustainable for its inhabitants and we invited people to submit finished scores that again were either and this comes back to um, what you're saying Adashola about whether scores are kind of instructive or I can't remember the other word you use but um, you know whether they kind of take a site and record um, chords uh, points of permeability at the edges of a very kind of bounded uh, a wasteland that we walked around in Paris and looked at where there's kind of possibilities of interjection and then kind of scored these different textures of uh, sonic interjection at those points uh, or one, I don't know if my colleague Fanny Kosturu is here. She's uh, worked on this project and put together all the research materials. And she also developed a score that was very much about looking at the idea that, that an architectural plan tends to kind of draw a line around the edge of something. And that 
line on the ground has such different reality in terms of how permeable it is sonically, visually, um, how thick it is. So Fanny kind of used musical notation to record these different conditions of edge, these different edge conditions all around the site in a way that an architectural cartographic, a traditional cartographic representation really struggles to do or then others that are for choreographed actions. So they're more proposing, instructive, yeah. But coming back to the sensorial that you were just talking about, Adeshola, it relates to all of Teatro Mundi's projects tend to end up intersecting and relating in different ways. But we have a whole research project looking at, in the most simple terms, kind of different models of provision of creative workspace or cultural workspace cultural infrastructure but that project also kind of came about from a curiosity about a particular thinking about the way that music has been so uh, has been so shaped by the reducing access that people have to kind of large uh, spaces for experimentation in again in the 60s and 70s you used to have things like scratch orchestra these big experimental ensembles that would bring a lot of amateurs together and that came from the fact that there was kind of easy access to large spaces perhaps in post-industrial bits of the city where there were there was either other industry going on or not many people living there you could make a lot of noise so the scale of things was much bigger and then now of course the kind of in a way the main form of experimentation is in electronic music which a lot of the time is created in the relationship between an individual and their laptop in a bedroom and so for me it was very much that sensorial thing of how does making music in a bedroom <laughs> translate into how we receive, understand music, and then the kinds of social formations that develop around music. And you can ask that same question in, of course, different, slightly different conditions for choreography or for fine art or for writing or for all sorts of things. How do the conditions, the infrastructural conditions, not just where you're sat, but all of how warm it is, what you can hear, who can hear you, what you can see out of the window can anyone see you are you being watched are you in a building that's got like 20 people in small cubicles or studios next to each other how does the sense of community or isolation work its way through into your work so for us we this project urban backstages is again very much about looking into the kind of invisible underlying kind of processes and conditions that underpin what we call culture which tends to be the visible part of culture it tends to be like what people perform make exhibit but kind of trying to unpick all of these conditions that work their way through into that you can go to our library on Teatro Mundi and read the first of our case studies we're doing we're looking at case studies in four different cities for this project and the first of them was in Elephant and Castle and again so it's very linked to the this kind of scoring thinking because it was a whole curiosity about what was going on in Elephant and Castle why it had kind of been seen as so failed and and therefore been needing of redevelopment but then why also it was such a haven for all sorts of informal kinds of adaptation and production that were going on so we looked into four different um, spaces of cultural production in Elephant and Castle and looked at really their infrastructural conditions how people have access how they've been adapted uh, the funding structure to try and look at like how these different sets of conditions allow constrain shape people's ability to make culture but yeah coming back to your again your thing about um about the sensory is that i suppose if we kind of um it's something about the ways that we use 
infrastructure are very non-discursive. We don't kind of decide I'm going to go there and I'm going to move through that space in a certain speed and walk on the floor in a certain way because I know that the floor is very slippery or I don't know, there's all of these kind of underlying conditions of texture, surface, configuration, size, space that we learn in an embodied way and we move through and use in an embodied way and therefore they kind of become bodily knowledge whereas we have this kind of with architecture or the kind of visual realm we have this more discursive relationship to it where we say what our opinion of it is what does it mean to us what do we think do we like it or not um yeah whereas kind of our infrastructure or these infrastructural layers of the environment we inhabit i think yeah we learn them much more implicitly or unconsciously in a sense it brings us back around as you've just said to the elephant castle but particularly the idea that we spoke about in terms of how someone that's coming from a different cultural context reads the environment differently or sees it as an offer um, more readily and I, I talked a little bit about how elephant castle to me is not just where I practice dancing but also where a lot of my relatives from Nigeria maybe first encountered London and they too had this sense of this thing being a possibility you know this place that they wanted to come to being a possibility uh, and what what are what are the offers that they could build on which is part of that kind of history of places like that coming into their own futures uh, as we began with that people from different cultural backgrounds can envision or read different futures or see the futures of places and, and build with that exactly or just at a certain point you have to stop we, we also have to stop kind of reading those different interpretations as different, I suppose, in the sense that at what point does the thing become so detached from its object form, in, by which I mean the moment at which it was kind of created as a fully as a fully finished idea that made total sense and whose author or designer was still there to say this, we don't, you know, you don't start knocking walls through in buildings like, three years after they're built, because there's still this kind of object, which is marked by the architects so much. But then, yeah, what point does it become so distant that actually, maybe it loses all of that. And there's no longer, I mean, there's this debate in music about kind of whether you perform Bach, uh, and you try to kind of recreate exactly how it would have sounded at the time through period instruments, even through playing it in recreated spaces. But then people will also say, well, you can make it sound exactly, but it still sounds differently to, it sounds exotic and other to the people that are listening to it. Whereas to the people at the time, it would have sounded completely normal. So you can't ever kind of recreate that moment of objectness where it made complete sense in its environment. And once it's become detached from that, perhaps there is no different or alternate interpretation. All there is, is a, a kind of valid, well, valid, you know, some things might be more or less successful, but all there is is kind of like um, interpretation because there's no coherence almost left. I think a lot of different processes within artistic creation offer microcosms for analyzing the political relationships within, within these different uh, ways of setting the framework for creation, essentially.
This podcast is possible thanks to the support of the Center for Art, Science and Technology at MIT and the Art, Culture and Technology program and is done in collaboration with Teatro Mundi. If you want to know more about the class, the program and or the artists, follow us on Instagram at choreographingthecity underscore MIT or follow the links provided in your podcast platform. Thank you very much for listening.